Lesson 35. Hello again. In this lesson we're going to take a closer look at lenses, but before we begin I'd just like to thank all of you who have emailed me with your comments about the show and the 400 plus of you who have already joined me on the Photography 101 Facebook site. If you haven't done so yet, please join us and become part of our growing Facebook community. A special thanks also for those of you who have bought the Photography 101 app and posted reviews in iTunes. You know, it's almost scary how many of you requested a lesson on lenses in the last month. As a result, it didn't take me long to decide what to focus on in my next lesson. Rather than spend a lot of time on the technical aspects of lenses, my focus instead is going to be on what I feel are the most important things you should know about this topic, based on some of the questions I've been asked and a few other things that may help you the next time you go lens shopping. There are several factors to consider when choosing what lens is best to use for a particular scene or even a particular genre of photography. Perhaps the most important decision is focal length. The focal length is what ultimately determines how much of a scene fills the frame. For example, if you use a lens with a short focal length, such as an 18 millimeter, you'll include a lot of the scene in your frame because of its wide angle. However, if you use a longer focal length while in the same camera position, such as 300 millimeter, there'll be much less of the scene in the frame and faraway objects appear larger. Focal length is the distance from the lens to the film or photo sensor, also known as the focal plane, when focused on a subject at infinity. In this diagram you can see the focal length of a 50 millimeter normal lens and the angle at which the image appears on the focal plane. If we switch to a 135 millimeter focal length in the diagram, you can see how the angle becomes smaller, thereby reducing how much of the original scene appears on the focal plane. In essence, nothing has really changed except that the image becomes magnified and as a result becomes cropped in the final image. Most modern lenses have a number of elements inside which are essentially several lenses built into one, which makes the physical focal length appear to be shorter than it actually is. Just how much focal length affects the composition of a shot may be seen in the series I took of the same scene from the exact same camera position. I used two different zoom lenses for this an 18 to 70 millimeter and a 75 to 300 millimeter. Keep your eye on the pair of water towers in the distance as the focal length increases. This first one is at 18 millimeter, 35 millimeter, 50 millimeter, 70 millimeter, 75 millimeter, 100 millimeter, 135 millimeter, 200 millimeter, and 300 millimeter. To put this into perspective, most of the lenses that are included with DSLR starter camera kits are in the 18 to 55 or 18 to 70 millimeter range. This means that you are somewhat limited with regard to how much you can include and exclude in your viewfinder at a given distance, particularly when it comes to faraway objects. Here is the widest angle you can get with an 18 to 70 millimeter lens, and here is the longest. For a 75 to 300 millimeter lens, this is the widest, and here's the longest. This is why you may want to consider getting a longer range zoom lens if your subjects need to be closer than you're getting with your standard zoom lens. Before I go any further, I should probably say a few words about what is known as a focal length multiplier, or FLM, for the benefit of all you old school film photographers. Because the focal lengths used for 35mm SLR cameras are not the same as those for digital SLRs, manufacturers have established an FLM in order to calculate the equivalent digital focal length. 
This is because there is what's known as a crop factor with most digital SLRs, since the image area is not the same as 35mm film and varies from brand to brand. For example, if you have a Nikon lens, the FLM is 1.5. This means that a focal length of 18mm on a Nikon DSLR would be the equivalent of 27mm for a 35mm SLR. The FLM for an entry-level Canon is 1.6, making a 200mm focal length the equivalent of a 320mm lens for 35mm. As I was saying before, different scenes or genres of photography require different focal lengths, and no single lens I know of will satisfy all of these focal lengths, although manufacturers try to come close. For example, if you want to shoot landscapes or room interiors, a short focal length would be the best choice. Those lenses with a focal length in the range of 18 to 21 millimeter for DSLRs and 28 to 35 millimeter for 35 millimeter film cameras are considered wide-angle lenses. I took this shot of coast redwood trees in Muir Woods near San Francisco at an 18mm focal length, making the grouping of trees appear to tower even higher above me. This shot of a church in Santa Fe was also shot at wide angle, allowing me to take in a pretty large area of its stunning interior. Fisheye lenses have focal lengths even shorter than a standard wide angle, around 15 to 10mm and even less which can make for some interesting effects due to the extreme wide angle of view and resulting image distortion. I shot these images using a fisheye lens filter screwed onto the front of an 18 to 55 millimeter zoom lens. I call this attachment a poor man's fisheye because it's much cheaper than a legitimate fisheye lens yet still creates some pretty cool effects. These next couple of images were shot at what is considered to be normal focal length a so-called normal lens has a focal length of around 35mm for a DSLR and 50mm for a 35mm SLR. It is referred to as normal because it closely approximates what the human eye sees in reality. Medium telephoto lenses are mainly for portraiture because they bring subjects closer and are more flattering since they compress the image somewhat. Medium telephoto focal lengths are in the range of 55 to 80 millimeter for a DSLR and 85 to 105 millimeter for a 35 millimeter SLR. And long telephoto lenses, often used for sports and wildlife photography, are in the range of 135 to 200 millimeter and longer for a DSLR and 210 to 300 millimeter and longer for a 35 millimeter SLR. One other kind of lens certainly worth mentioning is a macro lens. A macro lens allows an image approximately the same size as the subject to be projected onto the focal plane. In other words, the lens magnifies the image by a ratio of 1 to 1, which is life size. Depending on the focal length, some macro lenses have an even greater magnification ratio. A macro lens allows you to focus very close to the subject and is great for nature shots of flowers, insects, and so on. There are basically two types of camera lenses prime lenses and zoom lenses. Prime lenses have by far been around the longest time and are also referred to as fixed focal length lenses. As that name implies, prime lenses have only one focal length. The lens seen here in my old Nikon FM2 is an 85mm f2 medium telephoto lens. I used to use this lens constantly for my fashion and portraiture work because of the large maximum aperture, crisp resolution, and ability to give flattering results. No autofocus on this baby, just a smooth manual focusing ring. Zoom lenses for cameras have only been around for 50 years or so and are capable of variable focal lengths. 
Zoom lenses are usually designated by their minimum to maximum focal lengths, such as this 18 to 70 millimeter zoom on my Nikon D70. Prime lenses are of course designated by a single focal length. The greatest advantage of a prime lens is that since you're limited to a single focal length, you must physically move either closer or farther from the subject if you wish to modify the composition. For example, if you're photographing a person full length, you stand at a certain distance from them to compose all of their body in the viewfinder. Then you decide you want to shoot only a headshot. You need to move close to them and refocus the lens accordingly. A zoom lens, of course, eliminates this inconvenience. You can maintain the same distance from your subject and either zoom in or zoom out by simply rotating the zoom ring on your lens or by whatever means your lens employs for zooming. Due to the zooming feature, zoom lenses also eliminate the need to change lenses, which is necessary if your prime lens isn't allowing you to compose a shot the way you want to. For instance, if you're using a 35mm normal lens and want to bring a faraway scene closer than it lets you, you'd have to replace your normal lens with a telephoto lens, which takes precious time and is a bit of a nuisance. Also, in order to cover the focal distance offered by zoom lenses, it'd take several prime lenses at varying focal lengths, which could be more expensive in the long run. On the other hand, as with all great things, there are disadvantages to zoom lenses. For one thing, they tend to be more expensive than prime lenses. They're also usually slower than a prime lens, dollar for dollar, meaning that the widest aperture opening is not as bright as those on most prime lenses. One of the most important features, and the easiest one to forget while shopping for a camera lens, is the lens's widest aperture size. Wider apertures, that is smaller f-stop numbers, which have the greatest light gathering capability, not only make it easier to see through the viewfinder due to the greater amount of light, but are often what adds quite a bit to a camera's price. In order to achieve a generous maximum aperture number, like f2.5 in a zoom lens, the lens has to have a considerably wider diameter in order to allow the amount of light needed to be rated f2.5. All of the lens elements inside that are necessary to make zoom lenses work weakens light as it travels through all of that glass or plastic. Because of pricing constraints, I would guess, the widest apertures of many standard quality zoom lenses are only 4.5 or 5.6. If you wanted to buy an identical range lens with a larger aperture, you'd pay considerably more. If you ever wonder why two apertures are usually listed for a zoom lens, such as f4.5 slash 5.6 for a 55 to 200 millimeter zoom, it's because these are the two widest available apertures for each side of the focal length of the lens. In other words, f4.5 would be the widest and thereby brightest aperture available while zoomed out at 55mm and 5.6 would be the brightest aperture while zoomed in at 200mm. You lose a full f-stop as the focal length increases. In a nutshell, prime lenses are smaller than zoom lenses, less expensive, and will give you a sharper image at a comparable focal length, especially in the corners. As I mentioned before in an earlier lesson, a macro lens opens up a whole new world to explore with your camera, and there is no better way to shoot macro than a lens that is dedicated for the purpose of shooting images close up. This old manual focused Nikkor 55mm micro lens has been a great addition to my photo arsenal, and Nikon in fact still manufactures this classic. You can also use this lens for portrait work as well. It only has a 1 to 2 reproduction ratio, so if you want a true 1 to 1 life-size reproduction ratio, you'll pay a bit more for the 85mm or 105mm macro lenses offered by Nikon.
A word of caution, though. Some of these older lenses may not be fully compatible with your DSLR camera with regard to exposure control and so on, so check to be sure before purchasing. Since a good macro lens can be expensive, there are a couple of ways to save money by giving a standard lens macro capability, although the quality of the image as a general rule will not be as good as with a macro lens. You can also increase the reproduction ratio of a macro lens as well. One method is to use extension tubes, like you see here, which fit between the lens and the camera body. These tubes essentially increase the focal length by simply putting raw space between the camera and the lens. They are available in various lengths and can be stacked as needed. Another inexpensive alternative are close-up filters, which screw into the end of the lens and magnifies the subject. These sometimes come in sets of three with differing magnification ranges and may also be stacked to increase the range. If you're thinking about using close-up filters, keep in mind they won't give you the quality of image you'll get with a macro lens, especially regarding crispness around the edges and distortion, but they are certainly better than nothing. Another thing you'll need to know if you plan on buying close-up filters is the inside thread diameter of the lens you plan on attaching the filter to. This is sometimes designated either along the lens rim in front or in the back of the lens cap, but not always. If you're unsure of the filter thread size, refer to the specs that came with your lens or look it up online. Converting your camera lens to a fisheye is as easy as attaching one of these neat little filter attachments to your wide-angle lens. As I mentioned earlier, this accessory is not a true fisheye lens, but gives you the next best thing if you're on a tight budget. It's called a Phoenix .25X Super Fisheye Converter, costs around 70 bucks or so, and comes with filter conversion rings to adapt for 49, 52, 55, and 58 millimeter filter diameters. When attached to a lens set at 18 millimeter focal length, you get a full circle wide angle shot like you saw earlier in the podcast. My students totally love this cheap, versatile alternative to a legitimate fisheye lens. Just as you can add attachments to convert standard lenses to shoot macro or fisheye, there's a way to inexpensively increase the focal length of your normal or telephoto lenses. This can be done by the use of teleconverters, also known as extenders or multipliers. Both Nikon and Canon offer these lens attachments, and there are also off-brands available for practically every popular lens mount. Teleconverters are similar to extension tubes, but contain optical glass that magnify distant images instead of close-up images. A 2x extender will double your focal length, essentially turning a 200mm telephoto lens into a 400mm lens. There are also 1.4x extenders that multiply your focal length 40%, and Nikon also makes a 1.7x extender, which multiplies it by 70%. The obvious advantage to using teleconverters is that they basically save you money since they're less expensive than buying another lens. But as you would expect, there are also some disadvantages to using these attachments. They decrease your lens speed. In other words, your maximum aperture will be decreased. A 1.4x converter makes you lose one stop of light, so if your lens is, say, f4, its lowest aperture will become 5.6 with this converter. You'll also lose a whopping two stops with a 2x converter, making your maximum aperture f8. As you know from previous lessons, higher aperture numbers force you to use lower shutter speeds to achieve proper exposure. Not to mention the fact that viewing is more difficult since less light enters the lens. As with all long telephoto lenses, camera movement becomes an issue, so faster shutter speeds are necessary, even with a tripod. You can see how this could become a problem with a slower lens. 
Finally, the image will degrade somewhat using a teleconverter since it's magnifying any aberrations already present in your lens even more. Since these will be even more apparent at even higher magnification, a 1.4x extender would probably be your best choice. There are a number of specs and features to consider when shopping for a lens, and I'll try to list most of the basic ones. One is autofocus. Autofocus is a huge plus with any lens, but you need to make sure that manual focus is also an option as well. Another consideration is the minimum aperture of the lens. For example, if you're thinking of buying a macro lens, you want to make sure that it has a high f-stop number, like f32. Since depth of field is critical in close-up work, having that extra stop can be a big plus. Another consideration when choosing either a prime or a zoom lens is whether or not it has macro capability. In other words, what is its minimum focal distance in feet or inches that subjects can be focused? This is one of the specs you may want to be looking out for if you plan on shooting any close-ups with your lens. The best way to be sure is to try the camera out at the store if possible. Try focusing on an object with a lens at its greatest length and see how close you can get to it and still have the subject focused. A depth of field previewer is another great feature to have on a lens. The depth of field preview button stops down the lens to the aperture you have set the lens to as seen here while focusing your scene so you can determine how much of the background will be in focus when you actually take the shot. As you may recall from lesson 19, your lens is always at its maximum aperture while composing a shot, but the aperture closes down the moment the shutter is engaged for the duration of the exposure. This feature lets you see the effect of the aperture on your scene without even taking a shot. Depth of field preview buttons are an absolute must on macro lenses since it's such a critical factor in close-up work. It's also indispensable for portraiture and nature photography. There are some other great features available for lenses, including image stabilization and vibration reduction. These features are offered by Canon and Nikon respectively, and both basically do the same thing. They help minimize camera movement at low shutter speeds, in fact up to four shutter speeds slower, that typically result in blurry images. This feature allows you to use long lenses or lenses in dim light without a tripod, and avoid blur from camera shake during exposure. They do not, however, stop moving objects during exposure, something that only fast shutter speeds can do. IS and VR will cost you more, of course, but they're worth the extra cost if you do a lot of long lens shooting and can't use a tripod. I'm not going to try to list all the features available for all the lenses out there, because that would be impossible to do. Like most things technological, features change constantly, just like the prices do. But the bottom line when choosing a lens is to ask yourself what you're going to use the lens for the most. If your primary genre is portraiture, you could either settle for a prime lens of around 85mm, have a nice bright aperture like f2 and save some money, or buy a zoom lens for a little more that includes a medium telephoto range and not have to move around as much, but have a dimmer view through the lens. On the other hand, if you shoot a wide range of subjects, such as while traveling, you'd be better off with a good zoom lens in the range of 18 to 70 or 18 to 105 for most subjects and wide angle landscapes. This is usually the range included with your camera and why it's such a popular choice. If you're going to shoot mostly macro shots, then you should get the best macro prime lens you can afford. There really is no need for a zoom macro lens if all of your work is close up and you'll appreciate the wider apertures. A long telephoto lens is necessary for most sports and nature photography. Again, a zoom lens in the range of 200 to 400 will be a great place to start. 
A final word about lenses. There are quite a few off-brand lenses available that will fit your Canon, Nikon, or any other brand DSLR. Some of these include Tokina, Sigma, and Tamron. There's quite a bit of debate as to whether these lenses are up to the same standards as lenses made by Canon and Nikon. Many of these lenses' features are comparable to the real thing and are typically less expensive. My personal opinion of buying an off-brand just to save a few bucks is that it's penny-wise and pound-foolish. To me, it's sort of like buying generics versus name-brand items at the grocery store. The real things are generally better than the knockoffs because the quality control of the generics is not as rigid. Plus, you never know who's making the things in the first place. I'd rather have a lens that's made by the same manufacturer who made my camera because I know that the folks at either Nikon or Canon know exactly what they're doing and have taken the time necessary to see that their products work perfectly together. Furthermore, lens prices by the name brand manufacturers have come down quite a bit through the years because of competition from the off-brands, I'd guess, so it seems foolish to pay a little less for something that isn't nearly as good as the real thing. Well, that about wraps it up for this lesson. I hope you've learned something new about lenses. Until next time, See you later.